Well, we're not in Psalms this morning. That's your teaser for the next surprise. All right, today's scripture is Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sarah. Sorry to get up too quickly and just steal that from me. Uh, good morning. Uh, you'll notice that once again that I'm still not Nathan Boyette and I'm not Drew Wilkins. Um, a few weeks ago I stepped in for Nathan and today I get to step in for Drew. Um, Drew managed to um, defeat and stay away from COVID for two and a half years. Uh, and then I uh, got it. So he is at home with it. Uh, five of the six kids are sick. Don't know what with. Uh, Ike, the littlest, is not sick. But Ike had it uh, when he was uh, relatively young. And Daddy got it from the hospital. So thankfully, uh, as of yesterday, Lindsay and Ike, the littlest, are healthy. But I'm quite sure they are uh, worn out. Uh, so uh, pray, pray for all of them, please, that they would... Um, they would be strengthened and healed and restored uh, to everything that, that they need to be restored to. Pray also for Victory Jam. Uh, Drew has a good team that can step in in his absence this week. Uh, and so that will be taking place without his, his presence unless he somehow has a quick healing and can make it, but not likely. Um, we are going to dive into Matthew chapter 9. Uh, I had this idea when... Uh, heard from Drew Saturday morning, I, I knew that I couldn't prepare uh, Psalm 2 in time because I had a lot of other things already planned for Saturday with my family, uh, and especially since I'd been out of town for a week with General Assembly. So I thought to myself, I thought, well, uh, your favorite passage in Scripture is, is uh, Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. Just go there. That'll be easy. <laughs> Famous last words. What I've learned over the years is that you, you can't preach the same sermon twice. You just can't. Um, the congregation is different. You're different. It might be the same congregation, but it's different on different Sundays and different years. The world we live in is different. The gospel remains the same. The gospel does not change. But a, a part of preaching is taking what we find in Scripture and applying it to our lives today. And so as our lives are different, because I'm different, you're different uh, this Sunday is different than last Sunday. Everything has to change to so start from scratch. So we, we do that with, with Matthew 9. Uh, let's go before the Lord, can we? Father, as we open up your word this morning, we pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that you would uh, indeed proclaim your gospel, the gospel of your kingdom, uh, through this broken vessel. Father, I am not worthy and yet your gospel uses people that are not worthy. 
You take broken people like me, like us, and you make us whole again. Lord, and you, you call us to minister out of our weakness, out of our brokenness. Uh, and Lord, there, there in you are made so strong. So Father, I pray that would be the case today as you call us to places of, of faith by your grace. You call us to places of compassion and action because of your love for us and your love for people created in your image. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray on this day. Amen. <clears throat> January 20th, 1973. The Supreme Court ruled that uh, abortion could not be, um, cannot be made unlawful. They ruled that it was legal, that there was a constitutional right to, to abortion. Many of you and myself have fought that at times with tears over the years. In a room this size, this many people, no doubt there are individuals who have... Um, who have been a part of abortion from the other end of it. I want you to know that I love you, if that's the case, and that the Father above loves you and wraps you up close. As we dive into this, I want you to know that there's deep forgiveness from the Father, complete forgiveness. Whether you were a, a boyfriend or a husband, that led your girlfriend or your spouse towards abortion or whether you were a father or a mother, a parent of, of that, that woman, um, there is great forgiveness. If you're that woman, there's great forgiveness. I assure you from Scripture. We read or we sang just a few moments ago of God's mercy. His mercy is boundless. His mercy is not because you've earned it or deserved it. His mercy is because of who he is. This passage takes us to those places today as well as <clears throat> other places, but it at least takes us to those places. As I, as I listened to the news and, and read different things over the last couple of days since the Supreme Court ruled that uh, that abortion was unconstitutional, that a right to abortion was unconstitutional. And they struck down Roe versus Wade. I saw people that were very angry because some felt like, or at least they shouted out that their rights had been taken away. Others cheered. But I also saw people on both sides of that issue weeping with compassion, with relief, and calling us to places of greater compassion. We've opened our mouth and we've spoken over the years. I have, many of you have. And we have said things like, please don't abort your baby. I'll adopt your baby. I'll raise your baby. Many of us have said that. 
And some have done that. Praise God. Will we do it now? How far will our compassion take us in 2022? <clears throat> How will we care for those that are created in the image of God? Not only the one in the womb, but the one that holds the womb, the one whose womb it is. How far rock will our compassion carry us? Jesus is speaking to a crowd here in Matthew chapter 9. And it's recorded on the heels of Matthew 9, 32 to 34. So let me read that. And that kind of sets the stage for what's next. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought up, was brought to him. And when the demon has, had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. They couldn't celebrate. This guy that couldn't talk can now talk. This guy that was bound up by demons is now free of the demons, and they still couldn't celebrate. Then one of the one that had authority over the demons, the ones that had authority over the man that wanted him done away with. And then Matthew records this next. He says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus went. He went. It would have been much easier for Jesus never to have left heaven, I suppose. We read in Scripture where we have the triumphal entry, the, the, the Pharisees and the people are crying out about his, the, the crowds being so loud and boisterous and, and some Pharisees instruct Jesus to make his people be quiet. And I, I, I'm guessing he probably chuckled at that point. Uh, but he said, if they were silent, the rocks would cry out. God could have used the rocks to cry out the gospel. God could have spoken from heaven and cried out the gospel, but that's not what he did. God came to broken people like you and me with the gospel. That is the gospel, that God comes to us and takes from us our sin and gives us his life. We call that imputation or double imputation. It's where he takes our sin and it is imputed unto his record. It's an accounting term. It's given over to him, to his account. And the double imputation is that his righteousness, his life is imputed over to our account. That's the gospel. And Jesus coming from heaven to earth is not just the delivery of that gospel, but the living out of that gospel. It is Jesus being the very gospel and so he comes, and he, he doesn't ignore the Pharisees. We'll get to that in a moment. But he comes, and he speaks the gospel to them, and then he goes to all the cities and all the villages throughout the cities. That would be the larger, nothing as large as this, but large cities and villages, small crossroads. And he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, and he heals every disease and every affliction. Jesus proclaimed and he healed as a shepherd, proclaiming God's 
kingdom. He is this, um, the analogy of a shepherd, the analogy of a, he speaks of a kingdom uh, and, and of a harvest. He's, he's, he's kind of mixing up all of his metaphors there. But he's Jesus. He can do that and get away with it. He's a shepherd, a shepherd that gives his life for his sheep while he's proclaiming a kingdom and calling us to be a part of bringing in the harvest into the kingdom of God. What he proclaims is the good news. Go over to Luke chapter 4, and you see him beginning to do this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah, beginning verse 17, was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Praise God. He came to proclaim the good news, and it is the good news that he proclaimed. He didn't come and proclaim religion. They already had religion. All they had was religion. Religion upon religion upon religion. He didn't come to proclaim religion with Jesus attached to it. As if Jesus is some sort of appendage and you could just uh, put a little Jesus blanket over your religion and, and call it good. Religion is man being burdened with, with being good enough, something we can never do. We can even make a, a, a little God blanket and put a God look to the religion and, and, and proclaim it good, but it's still just religion and it's not good enough. If it was good enough, Jesus would not have come. Christianity is not religion. Religion is man reaching up to God in futility. Christianity is God coming down to man. It's God coming to man as Christ, cleansing, forgiving sin, filling with the Holy Spirit, redemption, restoration, glory. We have to have that. We cannot remake ourselves. Several years ago, Sandy and I, uh, did one of those things we, did, we, we sometimes do and maybe sometimes regret later, but we see good in it. We, we took a house that was falling apart and we bought it as is. Have you ever seen the movie Money Pit? It could have been us. We bought a house that was falling apart. We, we stripped it down to the studs. Uh, we ripped up the floor, replaced floor joists. Uh, we fashioned systems in the attic to pull it back together because it was spreading apart. That's never a good thing for a house. You might want a skylight, but not if the whole roof does this. We, we rebuilt it. New cabinets, floors, countertops, buried beams in the ceiling. It was awesome. It was awesome. And, and it was something that could have been on the cover of, of um, Southern Living when it was done. The house could never have done that to itself. The house can't strip itself down to the studs. It can't repair the leaks in its plumbing. It can't fix the wires that are hot and buried behind the sheetrock. It can't fix its own roof. It can't fix its own foundation. A house cannot do that for itself, and neither can you, and neither can I. We can't do that to ourselves. We have to have someone come in and restore us. Christ does that. That's Christianity. 
It's Jesus Christ coming to us and effectively redeeming, restoring us, remaking us. Jesus proclaimed his kingdom, not my kingdom, not your kingdom, but his kingdom. Christianity is about God's kingdom. In John chapter 6, Jesus tells us in a couple of different ways that we can never uh, lose that place we have with God. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're always going to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've always got eternal life. You didn't save yourself, you can't unsave yourself. In John 6, he says, no one can take you out of the Father's hand. Later, he says, no one can take you out of my hand. Can't happen. That's because he's the king. And it is his good news, it is his kingdom that he proclaims. If it's our kingdom, then surely we can snatch ourselves out of the Father's hand. Because the Father is one of our subjects. It's his kingdom. He proclaimed that gospel, that good news, and he healed. He healed every disease and every affliction. He healed broken people. You get the picture there that it wasn't just physical diseases that he was healing, but it was a spiritual brokenness. It was the weariness, the loneliness, the heartache that so, that so invaded our souls and our lives. He heals it all. Broken people like me and like you. And Matthew and chapter 25 you see a bit of what that looked like beginning in verse 32 before him will be gathered all the nations and and he will separate people one from another and as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And he could have added on to that. I was an unwed pregnant mother and you cared for me and my child and then the righteous will answer him saying Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Healing every disease and every affliction. Doing it unto the least of these, my brothers, includes caring for those that are unborn and those that are caring the unborn. It's, it includes all of that and includes, compa includes compassion for the least, for the very least. Jesus saw them. How often do you walk right by? Last week I was in, in Birmingham at General Assembly. We'll give you a report on that later on. Uh, some central time zone. This is Eastern time zone, so I'm waking up early there, and the sun's not, not up high there in the city, and it's downtown, and 
There's no traffic in the streets early at 6 a.m. there and 6.30. And so as I'd, I'd make a morning run through the city, there were doorways of homeless still sleeping, running through Lynn Park in downtown Birmingham and, uh, and just, you know, small little tent cities everywhere. And then you run back through there, you know, an hour later on your way back to the hotel, and, and I see that they're beginning to roll up, you know, sleeping bags and begin to pack the stuff up and, and go about another day. The least of these. The ones that need food and clothing, the ones that are thirsty and need home. Jesus sees them. Jesus sees the unborn, and he sees the woman that's, that's pregnant with this newborn or this new baby uh, in her womb, and, and he has compassion. He saw them. He didn't look past them, but he looks as a shepherd sees a, a sheep that's, that's maybe wounded or maybe a newborn sheep, and, and he picks it up and he cares for it. The passage tells us that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Think about who was in the crowd. Who would have been in that crowd? Those Pharisees that had just been mocking him would have been in that crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on those that were in the crowd that were successful, that everybody looked up to and looked to for advice that had all the wealth they needed to buy anything they needed to buy. He had compassion on them. He had compassion on those, as we read in, in Luke 4, that were oppressed, that were poor. He had compassion on the captives, on those that were in slavery. He had compassion on those that were hungry. He had compassion on those that were lonely. He had compassion on those that were in abusive relationships. He had compassion on all the people that were in the whole crowd. One of the things we see as we walk through Psalms is we see King David, King David, crying out to the Lord for comfort and for refuge. And Jesus has compassion on that king. My friends, you can't, you can't have enough wealth. You can't have enough success outward success, inward success. You can't have enough of that to be separated from your need for the Lord's compassion. We all have a need for that. And yet in this place, it seems that Jesus is reaching out to, as he does so often in Scripture, to those that are the least of these, those that are oppressed and poor, the widows, the orphans, the hungry, those that are sick and in great need. He saw the crowds, but those that he healed were people. People created in the image of God, including those that were unintentionally pregnant. We know what happened in, in 1973. We've spoken about that. It wasn't long after that that ministries began to, to open up that would help um, unintentionally pregnant women care for these children. I remember being a student at Auburn University in, in the, the early 80s and um, gathered together with a couple of other students and developed a, um, a ministry to care for other students primarily that found themselves pregnant. 
unintentionally. And we began to, to, to we would speak in churches, we would speak in Bible studies and fraternities and, and sororities. We, um, I remember speaking to a nursing class at Auburn University. I don't know if that could happen uh, in 2022, but it could back in 1981. And a lot of questions were asked, and a lot of people were heartbroken. But there was a lot of fruit that came out of that. That ministry grew and began to spread far beyond Auburn and Opelika and covered East Alabama and West Georgia. And it still exists today, although under a, a different name with a much larger footprint. Where it clothes and cares for and provides medical care for and is an adoption ministry. It just covers everything that needs to be covered in that way. In 1997, I'm walking down the hallway of a church, and a, a friend that I'd known at Auburn, <coughs> a couple, they walk up to me, and they've got this little boy swinging between their arms, and he's probably two or 18 months or something. He's just, you know, just, they're just swinging him up high and swinging him back to the ground. He's got a grand from here to here. And, and they said they had just adopted this little boy a couple of months before from a student, an Auburn University student that found herself pregnant unintentionally. Uh, and had gone to this ministry that we had begun 16 years earlier. And this ministry helped care for her and helped the adoption process. And so with tears in their eyes, they just looked at me and said, thank you. My friends, when you come alongside a young woman or a young family, you're coming alongside generations. That young man that was introduced to me in the hallway on that morning got married a few weeks ago. You're coming alongside generations of those created in the image of God. But what does that look like in 2022? Where does that leave us today? Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. Those that liked him, those that were following him, those that marveled at him, and, and those that would want to kill him. He had compassion on them. How will we follow him in that? Will we have compassion on those that have those needs? Will we come alongside them? When Jesus proclaims the kingdom and heals every disease and affliction, he's, he's proclaiming forgiveness. So I've got to say it again. If you've been a part of abortion... There's forgiveness and there's healing and there's restoration. The Father above loves you and adores you and he calls you his own. There's forgiveness proclaimed from the Father. Jesus doesn't just have compassion on them, but he calls us to have compassion. Look in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, a harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. He calls us. He calls us to pray that he'll send out laborers. My friends, he also calls us to be the answer to the prayer. Matthew 22, Matthew 22 we see the, the two great commandments. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
My friends, loving our neighbors ourselves means that we're going to dive in to their pain. That we're going to dive in with compassion. Listen, a, a, a smile is free. Compassion will cost you something. Because compassion acts. Will you open your home? Will you open your heart? Will you have compassion? Jesus calls us not just to pray, but to be the answer to our own prayer. Well, this passage is not just about about that. It isn't just about the the need for us to come alongside uh, women and children. It's, it's, It's about us going to the harvest field and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about evangelism also. It's been used to ask people to open up their wallets and give to the work of missions. And yes, that's true. My friends, dollars are the easiest thing to give. It really is. Because we can give dollars from a distance. And we need to give dollars. Don't get me wrong, we need to do that. But that's the easiest thing to do. What's harder is to come alongside. Everyone in this room has skills. And and there are people that need your skills. Would you come alongside others and mentor them in those skills? Would you sit alongside someone that's a student or someone that's out of a job, someone that maybe you already work with, someone in your neighborhood, someone that's in a school? Would you come alongside them and teach them what you know? It might change generations just by the doing of that. We have whole neighborhoods and generations of of individuals that um, that are trapped, so to speak, for example, in a study of upward mobility, that is uh, the, um, the ability to go from being, um, having this standard of living and this education level to having a higher standard of living and a higher education level. In a study of op- upward mobility of the 50 largest uh, metro areas in the nation, Charlotte ranked 50 out of 50. In other words, if you're living in that neighborhood, if, you're, if that's your status in, in that place and it's down here, in Charlotte, you rank 50th out of 50 in your ability to get above that. So, so what happened? Churches began to come together, and we began to grab men and women and step into those neighborhoods and mentor those individuals and help them come out of that and learn how to have a different life and a different job. We came alongside people that needed a job. And if we had a connection with someone that, that needed forklift drivers in their factory, we would say to the, to the guy that owns this company, hey, let me connect you with this guy over here. He has no connections. He doesn't know you. Can I connect you with him and can you give him a chance? Compassion in action requires creativity. It also requires that you sit with individuals and listen. Just sit and listen. As I'm running on another, another morning last week in Birmingham, I saw a guy, a um, homeless guy sitting with his dog, uh, which I guess means his dog is homeless also. And um, so I, I just sat down. I just began to talk with a guy. It's a big black shepherd lab mix. Uh, I've got a big black shepherd lab mix. Uh, my, my dog's name is Bear. Uh, this guy's dog name was Bear. Bear was barking and growling like crazy, but I could tell it wasn't a bark or a growl that said, I'm going to hurt you. But one that's just like, who are you? What are you? I want some attention. So I sat and petted the dog and I talked with a man for a little while, and I listened to a bit of his story. 
Compassion in action means that you go to the cities and the villages and you sit with the individuals that have a story to tell and you just ask them, tell me your story. And you show them the dignity that is already theirs because they're creating the image of God just like you. To have compassion and action to go about the business of the harvest means that we help give people life. New life in Jesus because we're willing to sit with them and talk to them of the gospel. New life physically because we're, we're willing to come alongside women that are pregnant and help them in that. Compassion in action means that we're, we're willing to give them a home. Derek Scott, uh, a ruling elder in our, in our area, made this a part of his public story last week. He said that there was a, uh, a young woman with a, with a young child, an infant, uh, newborn, that was living in her car. It was cold. Uh, and her parent, the, or another, a couple saw the young woman and they opened up their home to her and said, come and live, live with us for a little while, you know, until the spring. Come and live with us and we'll help you get back on your feet. And so she came into the house and, with her newborn and then one day she said, hey, I've got some business I need to attend to. And she left to go attend to the business, and she never came back. And she left the little boy there with this young couple. This young couple went through the process, and they adopted this little boy. It was years ago. That little boy now has children of his own. He grew up with a mom and a dad and a forever family because somebody opened up their home. and said, come "Come be a part of us. His name's Derek Scott. You can find his story online. Compassion in action means that we provide homes, not just from afar and say, hey, don't do that. But compassion in action says, hey, come do this, and we'll help you do it. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He calls us to pray. My friends, he also calls us to be the answer to our prayers. Will you? Will you? Let's pray. Father, we help us to be the answers to the prayers that we pray. Father, we help us to open up our homes, our lives, our calendars, our hearts. Father, help us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a community, as a church of Christ in America. Lord, help us to be a part of the harvest, the answer to our own prayers. Lord, as you have had compassion on us, Lord, so move in us that we will have compassion on others, a compassion that acts through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing greatest thy faithfulness?